hello to this episode of Friday Science Happy Hour. Today we're going to learn how paleontologists make a sense of their investigations uh, in order to basically provide a picture for us about what the past world looked like. My guest today is Diego Silva. He is a PhD candidate. Um, and he studies microfossils of the Itarare group. So we're going to make sense of all this jargon when, uh, after I read this bio, in the Panara Basin. So he's trying yeah. to understand what the environments of the past were like through the microfauna and the characteristics of the microorganisms that once lived there. Welcome to Science Happy Hour, Diego. Thank you, Sherry. First, it's it's an honor to be here. It's my talk, honor that you are here. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to, to talk about my research. That's awesome. Uh, I, I I love to participate here and other guests every week. I think this space is amazing. I'm I'm learning a lot, and I think you, what you do is very important. Good, thank you, and I'm learning a lot too. So that's that's wonderful. I have so much fun every week. So, uh, Diego, which, what is the name of your university? Where is, where is your university? Okay. So I'm from Brazil and my university, of course, is here in Brazil, the, the state of Paraná and the city of Curitiba. My oh. university is federal university of the Paraná state. So oh. it's a public university and where I do my research. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So now let's, uh, let's before um, we start, I just want to make sense of some of these terms that we learned. So you said microfossils of the Itarare group. What is that? Okay. So first, a group is a geological classification, how, how we separate things in the geological scale. So we can say the, the biggest scale is the basin, the Paraná basin where I works, and it is split in a few divisions like the Itarare group. Itarare group is another, how can I say, rock divisions, and they have some characteristics, geological and biological characteristics, where we can, you know, define them. So I work with inside the basin, there's a group. Inside the group, there's a formation. And the formations are made of members. It's how in geology we divide these things. I see. So then, uh, would you uh, are you a geologist or a paleontologist? What would like? How would you describe your? Okay. Uh, this is a good question because here in Brazil we don't have a degree in paleontology. I see. To yeah, to become a paleontologist, we you have to do a master's. And a PhD became a how can I, a full paleontology to earn this degree. So you have to do. In my degree is in teaching science. Is how I I can translate better because uh, uh, how can I say how can I explain this? So your it's, your degree is an this, education degree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, okay. I represented in the education. Yeah, then I did my master in the geology program, and now I'm doing my PhD in the geology program as well. I see. Okay. So because there is no paleontology, you're doing it in the geology program, but you're still studying organisms of the past. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Exactly. So this Itare group, so this grouping, it's groupings of different, um, you said different geological regions, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. And yeah, regions and moments. The Itare group, and it, it starts at, I think, 360 million years and ends at 300 more or less so there's 60 million years of geological history registered in the itinerary group i see so it is um chronological division so they divide the geological regions based on timing how long ago it yeah. was in the past yeah yeah that's, okay. that's a good explanation okay so why panera basin uh, because the, I think it's it's huge and there's a lot to be studied. The Parana Basin is the biggest basin in how we say the intracratonic basin in the world. It's um there's almost six hundred million kilometers. Wow! So there's a lot to be studied. Yeah, we we can study like um dinosaurs and trilobites, things from the Cambrian and things from the Cretaceans and Paleogen. There's a lot of time to study. And there's a lot of microfossils as well that need to be studied. So, and my, my area where, where I study geographically is relatively close. So I, I focus on this. I see. Okay. So you mentioned uh, the basin is a place where what two meets? You said there are two things that meet, or can you explain that again? What is a basin? Uh-huh. You said the basin, basin is where two tectonic plates meet or something? What? Uh, maybe I missed it. No, no, I, I said, yeah, I said the Paraná Basin, it's inside the, the tectonic, tectonic plate, and it's the biggest one in the world because it's not split, it's not in two different tectonic plates, it's I see. One. Oh, oh, it's inside one tectonic plate. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And is there something special about this basin in which you find higher probability of uh, finding fossils, or what? Why is it that? It, not it, not in the basin exactly, but in some outcrops maybe. Because how I said, the basin is so huge. We we have a lot of uh, outcrops and rocks that preserves fossil better or not. Okay. So there's a, a few places, yeah, where we can obtain a lot of fossils, and a few places we can most microfossils and sometimes nothing at all. I see. How do you know where to look? Oh, that's not. That's a good question. First, we have to. <laughs> I know nothing about this stuff. Fossils, <laughs> yeah, fossils are preserved in sedimentary rocks. Sedimentary rocks. So that's a start. 
So we start to looking in all crops like road goods and railroad goods and quarries. First, we start looking, but this work has been done from I don't know, let's five hundred, five hundred years or so. So we we have we already have a lot of spots to look for. I but see. When I we see. are looking for you know new places. Like I said, road cuts are a good start and quarries because they are extracting rocks all day. So there's normally a lot of, a lot of, a lot of um, good findings over there. Okay. I didn't catch the first word. What was the first word? The, the first kind about, of... You said sorry, you... About what? You said you look in two places, right? What was the first one? What, yeah. The second one was prairies? Like road cuts or rail, railroads, is that the word? Railroads, oh. Yeah. Why? Because the, they, they need to cut to, to, to construct the trails. I is see. Trail is the right word. Oh, I yes, so. yeah. Railroad tracks, you mean? The rail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Rails, yes. So then, um, so then the digging and cracking that you otherwise have to do has already been done by the railroad industry. Exactly. Ah, yeah. that's smart. At, at least the start. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because here in Brazil, we have a lot of vegetation all over the, 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 the country. So it's hard to start, you know, somewhere. We, we, we needed this kind of assistant. And so we just find the, the roads and go there, dig there. That's interesting. Okay, so then in a way yeah. you are just like, exactly like how science works, you're standing on the shoulder of giants because people, scientists in the past have already identified regions of interest and you go and dig there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Try to understand what the environments of the past were like through the microfauna. What do you mean by the word microfauna? You mean microorganisms? Yeah, yeah, all the, the microorganism context. I see. Okay. So you can, so microorganisms, they are very, very small. How do you find, yeah. I mean, I can, I can see like you would see the fossil of a dinosaur. It's so huge. But how do you find a fossil of a microorganism that is so small? Yeah, that's a really good question. In the field, it's very hard to look. So we normally just go to an outcrop or quarry or things where we can extract the rock. So we, we collect normally one kilogram and go to the lab. We smash it a little, not too much, to don't destroy the fossils. Mm -hmm. Then we prepare with acids to dissolve things we don't want, and with, with spe specific acids, not to destroy the microfossils. Uh -huh. And then we just pass through the, some sleeves, and we go to the microscope. I see. And try to try to separate what is what is the microfossil, what is not. Normally in I don't know, 100 grams of rock, you can find a few hundreds or even thousands of microfossils. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So what makes... It's really good. 
because uh, what makes um, microfossils of today under the microscope look different from microfossils of the past because I can imagine you know microorganisms are everywhere and people are always struggling to keep their samples dirty so microorganisms don't get into it so how do you know what you're looking at is not oh, some that, that, yeah go ahead not something recent we try to avoid the, um, the contamination as much as possible so we just clear the, the off-crop and try to collect the rock that is inside as inside as much as we can go just dig a little and collect that kind of rock and go to the lab and prepare very carefully but normally we kind of know what you are looking for you know like some time of foraminifera that have some specific characteristics mm-hmm. you know from the, he probably has a shell that demonstrate that he lives under deep sea I see. So we are, yeah, we're looking for this. I see. We're, yeah, trying to recover this. So if we found some fossils from, you know, with today characteristics, we just you know, split and work with the other one. I see, because uh, it is not for somewhere that is so far away from the sea, it would be very, I mean, almost impossible to find today's organisms, today's shelled sea organisms in the middle of a rock, which is far away from the sea, (laughs) right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because it reminds me of some of the information I read in uh, textbooks where one of the things that Darwin noticed when he went through his five-year journey was that he discovered shells of um, sea organisms in rocks that were on land. So that just reminds me yeah. of that. So which gave him the um, kind of uh, the hint that uh, the earth is a constantly changing entity, um, unlike totally. the popular belief of the past. Okay, so now uh, this is exciting. So now let's say you found those shelled fossils. Uh, how do you go about analyzing them to learn oh, about we... what the world look like? Okay, nice. So first we, we are during the how while we are analyzing, we do the electronic microscope that helps a lot because we can we can analyze so such a small structures that can help us identify what kind of environment this structure would, would help the the organism to survive and reproduce and all these things. So likely I was saying a foraminifera with some some kind of chamber that will allow it to boil or to live under underwater so deep or not under the sand in the deep sea, we look for these characteristics like in foraminifers or ostracodes that are other kind of uh, microfossils. We, we look for characteristics in the shell that can help us understand what kind of environment this, this organism would live. And analyzing the microfauna and the microfossils and the rocks, the rocks can, can provide a lot of information. So we, we just 
take this all this information and combine and try to reconstruct the, the environment using all the recovered data for this, all this analysis. That's interesting. So based on uh, what we know about the properties of different organisms that live in different conditions, we can work backwards and say, okay, so, this shell looks like this and it should have been because we know organisms um, have niche environments. So their, fun their structure is a match with the environment in which they live. So then you work backwards. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you know. Totally. yeah. So we know, again, standing on the shoulder of Janice, I love science, how collaborative it is. <laughs> yes, it's <is> amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there have been scientists who've done the um, previous work of understanding different structures for shelled organisms and what kind of environment different types of shells would be suited for, and then you can make sure. that deduction. Yes. Okay. And in this process, we normally find some new species, some new genera, because like I was saying, ostracos, for an example, today we have something about 120,000 species. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to learn from them, and we can provide a lot of information about the environment. But in, in the perspective, not only in the general environment, just, oh, this was probably a sea. But how deep, how warm, you know, was was freeze or was not, and this kind of information, the microfossils are very good indicators. Huh, that's interesting, and you can tell all of that by doing electron microscopy, just looking at the structure. Yes. Wow. Just looking at the structures. Wow. But normally we we have a minimum that if you're gonna to propose something, you have to had analyzed at least 300 specimens of this, this species to try to propose something. But we normally do about a thousand of each species. Wow. So for one paper, yeah. for how many, how many do you have to test for one publication? How, how much is possible? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the, so what's the minimum so the reviewers wouldn't reject your paper? 300, 300 in the minimum. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of digging, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but we normally in one kilogram, you can have all of this and much more. Oh, I a see. Lot of, one kilogram of rock, we can extract maybe, I don't know, 10,000 organisms. Oh, I see. They're I so see. tiny. Yeah. Okay. So what does the rock tell you? What kind of information do you get from the rock? Oh, awesome. So the rock, when you analyze the composition of normally the grain, the grain size tells you a lot. If it probably was a big grain, like sand, uh -huh. you know that's probably at all a lot of energy here to move sand, oh. like a beach or something like that. But it's not, it's not sand like mud. It's probably a low energy environment. After that, we analyze the structures inside it. What, what kind of structure can we see in this rock? Probably structures made by waves or a current or um, organisms, some kind of organisms 
that major structure. So we, we start to deduce things based on composition and structures. I see. Okay. Ooh, something happened to my computer. Yeah, it slept. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. Um, all right, that's interesting. So again, uh, we're going, we're working our way backwards based on what we know and everything that the scientists have figured out today. Um, is yeah. there, uh, can you extract DNA from these uh, old fossils, microorganism fossils? It's pretty hard because the, the microfossils I work, they have something about 300 million years. Uh-huh. And as far as I know, DNA can only preserve in extremely good con conditions until 10,000 years, maybe. Oh. So 10,000 to 300 million, it's pretty hard. Why? <laughs> Do we know why? Uh, I think that the DNA structure is very fragile. Uh -huh. So if we put in, as I said, extremely good conditions like frozen or something, they may be preserved, but it's really, really hard. Oh, I did not realize that. Huh. So it breaks down. Yeah, totally. Huh, okay. So what was the what was the latest we can go back that we can analyze DNA? DNA, I, I don't know for sure. But I think it's maybe 10,000 years, I think. 10, but fragments of the DNA, not the entire, you know, just fragments. Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not I dinosaurs. Mean, no, I mean, there, there, not that ones. Yeah, there's so <laughs> much we can expect from nature to help to tell us what the past looked like. I mean... Uh, just okay so um, you've analyzed the fossils and hi Juniper um, you've analyzed the fossils and you've analyzed the sand uh, and the rocks that are there and collectively what was the Panera no sorry the Itara environment look like what okay, have you so found so far yeah, the Tyrare group, it's, uh, he, he preserves something like one kilometers of rocks. So my first idea was we are, we are trying to reconstruct this entire section. But wow. we, we just, oh, oh no, this is too much for the PhD. Maybe two or three PhDs, but not only one. So we, we are focusing right now in the shale. Inside the Tarare group, we are focused on it and trying to reconstruct the environment about this shale. As far as we know, the Tarare group, based on the rocks analysis and other kinds of uh, geochemistry and uh, using other kinds of microfossils, not the ones I study, we know that was a glacial period, all during the Tarare deposition, was a glacial. Oh. But yeah, right now we are trying to identify a specific cut about that was the Lontra Shale. That's where my PhDs are focused focus right now. Okay. So you, you've, yeah. you've, you've understood that it was, this region was in the glacial period? Is that what you say? Kind of. We are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of the, the Lontra Shale. We are trying to get in there. 
uh, as I said, looking only in the rocks, we know was probably a really calm, bo huge bottle body of water. That's what we know. But how deep was warm or not? Did the glaciers were closed or things like that? We are trying to understand right now. The microfossils I have, they are probably telling me it was not so deep, but was calm. Mm -hmm. you know, because we have fragments of structures like sponges, mm -hmm. they, they were they did not tolerate a, a huge, uh, a deep body of water, so they're probably clo close to the shore. I see. So that's what's telling me. There are yeah, there are other there's other fossils like fishes that can tell me something like that. They was was not was probably not so so deep as far as we know that's what we're trying to propose right now i see okay because you found fragments of uh sponges and sponges don't tolerate deep water and the type of fish yes huh that's interesting okay wow and sponges some kind of foraminiferous right now we, we we're kind of trapped right now due to covid because we can't access, access the electronic microscope it's inside the university, and we're we're not being able to access. So we are preparing the microfossils and doing um, preparing the two the the electronic microscope, but we cannot use yet. Mm hmm. Okay. So um, do you have do you take pictures of these microfossils? Like, yeah, I have to a lot of them. I have basically a, a photo book just just for them that's that's cool like i mean that's gonna be that's such a cool thing to share with people yes yes wow that's amazing i, I would love to see a few can photos. you are you allowed to share them on social media yeah yeah i can do it yeah it would be cool if you shared some then we can look at what what the microorganisms of the past look like do we do we have any currently are there what are some shelled microorganisms that live today that live today uh-huh like the, the foraminifers i was saying they live today and they lived like 300 million years ago the ostracodes as well and diatoms they diatoms. are all microorganisms oh, yeah. that live from really deep past like 300 or 400 million years they are here they are here until now okay diatoms are some of the most beautiful creatures on air on on earth they are so awesome i call them jewels of of life they are so beautiful totally, yeah yeah and as far as i understand it their outer shell is made of glass right yeah i think silica yeah silicon okay we, we can call that yes that's cool so now i i think i have a better picture of what you mean by sh fossils of shelled microorganisms because diatoms of microorganisms and they're shelled now i can picture it oh okay you yeah. were thinking about the, the other kind of shell that we find in the beach right yes yeah and i think <laughs> i had okay. the i was i was yeah I was picturing the wrong, uh, not like a different category of shell, but but this kind of shell that you're talking about is more 
the glass type rather than calcium carbonate? Totally, yes, this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. Huh. That's interesting. Wow. I think it's just cool that you get to see organisms from millions of billions of no, not millions millions of years in the past right under the microscope that that is so cool just you, you got yeah, a window like, to uh, the past yeah after all the ends it's, it's kind of a challenge i was talking about the preparation you have to be very very careful mm-hmm. because we cannot smash the rock too much but too much acid or not too much acid. Mm-hmm. You have to be very care- be very careful in the preparation and then analyze. That's interesting. But it's a, how, how you said, it's just literally looking through the past in your hands. You know, you can put a lot of past history just on your eyes and it's amazing. That's amazing. It's totally amazing. Juniper, did you would you like to speak? If you'd like to speak and ask Diego questions, you're welcome to send a request to speak. I don't want to make you speak. She's probably she's probably going to run away. Uh, Juniper they... is my it's my girlfriend. Oh hi Juniper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> is Juniper uh, also a scientist? He... Yeah, she's doing his uh, her master degree on microfossils as well. Oh but my god. Working yeah, she's working with a group a little younger than the Tara group, the Guata group. Uh-huh. And she's focused on preparation. The, the her semester is on preparation about microfossils. How can we better prepare them? Wow. So so she's one of those giants on whose shoulder you stand? Totally, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I hope you don't run away. It would be fun to hear about some of the techniques you use. So um, some of the things you try to make those fossils um, not to be damaged, but I don't want to force you. Okay, so then, Diego, what made you want to become a, a paleontologist? That's a good question. During my degree, I got involved in the, in the project. We are constructing a exposition about the, the, the past mm-hmm. and, you know, just dinosaurs and stuff like that. And I get involved with it and oh, let, let me see this, what is what is paleontology and start to learn and like it. Then I try I try to understand a little more about the past because as a scientist educator uh, geology and biology was not the focus on my degree I so see. I, I yeah I, I start to approach these areas and study a little and then I just said oh I, I, I love this I love paleontology I, I think it's the most amazing science in the world we can understand and talk about a lot of things so I try to, I'm going to try my master's on this area. So I talked with my advisor and she accepted me and we start to to work that. My master I did with ecology, it's not microfossils, it's a totally different field mm-hmm. where we study tracks about animal tracks or vegetal and, and plant tracks and how they are preserved in the rock record. I see. So, I started with that, and now 
I, I am the micropaleontology. That's fantastic. I can I can hear in your voice that you really love what you do, and that's great. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, you may be interested to know that on June 18th, I'm going to have a couple of paleontologists uh, as my guests. Oh. They work, one of them is an educator, and I think both of them work at, let me see, at a museum. Let's see. Yeah, they both work at the same museum. And the very, very interesting uh, individuals. Uh, so I hope you can make that that episode um, and you guys can, I'm sure you'll hit it off. <laughs> yeah, but who are they? Uh, his name, one of them is Andy Frake. The other one is Gabrielle Santos. Um, you may have heard, I don't know um, if you have or not, but Gabe Santos is the uh, the cosplay for science. He's one of the founders. Totally, of yeah. 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 I follow, I follow them on Instagram and yeah. all the social media where I, where I can. Yeah. So Gabe is one I, of I, our, I my guests. It. Yeah. And one other person, Andy, uh, I don't want to butcher his last name. He's also a paleontologist and an educator. So... It's going to be a fun, fun talk, fun episode. Totally. They, they inspire me a lot. They inspire me uh, really, really yeah. about following the paleontology career. Oh, They're good. They're responsible. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. well, I, I hope you can make that, that day, June 18th, put it on your calendar and then. Totally. Yeah, it'll be fun. Oh, it's to, already. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, so then what's next for you after you do your um, master's? What's next? After my PhD. Oh, PhD. You're going for yeah, PhD. I did, okay. Yeah, I did my master with technology. We were talking about that. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Now yes. I do. After my PhD, it's kind of, uh, I don't know yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Postdoc, maybe. Okay. Try some. Right. Okay. Yeah, I really like to study and understand this. Awesome. And as I said earlier, there's a lot to understand in all the Paranaba basin and other basins. Mm -hmm. So I maybe keep with microfossils or not, or technology, or try a new a new study area. I, I love this. You know, I, okay. I, I, I love the challenge, you know. Good, good. Are you um, thinking of... Uh, doing your postdoc out of Brazil at all, or are you going to stay in Brazil? Uh, where the opportunity appears, I, I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. well, just uh, the fact that your, your passion for it, I'm sure, will take you to great places. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know what? I feel like I now I know a lot more, and I so... Um, that I think makes will make me a better educator too when I talk about evolution. So thank you for what you taught me today. It was a big um, kind of a black box for me. Um, we oh. always hear about um, determining the age of fossils based on radiometry and things like that. That's far as I knew. But now yeah. I can talk about this stuff a little bit more intelligently now that I know a little bit more. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. And I'm really honored to be here and talk to you. 
Thank you. I'm I'm glad that you accepted my invitation. Um, yeah, so, it's kind of. Uh, go ahead. Please. No, no, you go ahead. No, I I was just saying, uh, as you can see, English is not my native language, and I think probably the first time I speak publicly in English and for other people that are not my friends in playing video games. So uh, that was was a challenge. I love it. Thank you for the opportunity. Good for you. I mean, one of my hopes with this, not only for uh, when I do this, uh, one of it is the selfish reason I is that I really want to learn everything in any branch of science. But... Um, <laughs> It's also a great opportunity for scientists like you to come and explain your science, um, you know, in just practice yeah. explaining your science. And yeah. it kind of gets, how do you say it? For some, some scientists, they're comfortable talking about it, for, but for others, it pushed them out of their comfort zone. And I think we need to be pushed Always. out of our comfort zones to grow. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think there is a lot that we know about this world and so many scientists like you are are doing the hard work and it's easy to take the information in and take it for granted, The what we know, uh, that it's important that people know they are become familiar with the work that scientists do to help us understand the world better. Yeah. And one of the things I'm doing these days is a learning on my own learning a little bit more because I'm my background is molecular biology, but I'm learning more about human physiology. Oh. And when I learn about different parts of our body and how it works, what amazes me more, uh, I mean, <laughs> the way our body works is amazing. But what amazes oh, me yes. more is the scientists who figure out all these things. I imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that needs to be highlighted and appreciated. Yeah, yeah. So, any parting words? Anything you'd like to say before we close? Let me see. What I really like to to say every time I have the opportunity is paleontology. It's amazing, and it's not only dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are. <laughs> important and a really good part but there there's a lot of other organisms that are amazing too so that's it paleontology is awesome and thank you <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, that's a great point and i hope i mean you're active on social media and i hope you use that platform um to talk more about your research and get the message out that paleontology isn't only isn't only dinosaurs, but that's because of Jurassic Park and they're big and they're cool. <laughs> that captures people's yeah. attention. But if somehow we can make, for example, um, uh, the those little organisms, oh my God, my mind went blank. Uh, the diatoms. If people if people all had the chance of meeting diatoms and see how beautiful they are. Somebody has to write a f science fiction about diatoms so, and make a movie about and it. How important they are yeah, for yeah. us. Exactly. So why, 
tell just um, say a little bit about why diatoms are so important for us. Because they are uh, are really important in the food chain mm-hmm. and that provide us like oxygen for us to breathe. Literally, yeah. the, the nutrients in the sea that the diatoms they utilize it and they contribute to the food chain and the oxygen we breathe they are basically thanks to the yeah, yeah those, that terms is so important. Yeah, those little little, little microorganisms that we, I mean, it gets taken for granted because it's because we don't see them, but a lot of the oxygen we breathe comes from them, and I don't think many people realize that. So, we need people need to know about diatoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Diego, thank you very much for joining me. I just so enjoyed this conversation. And good luck with your research. It shows that you enjoy it. And thank you for doing the work, for helping us understand the world in the past. And thank you, Juniper, for making, optimizing the techniques. Um, so Diego can do his work. <laughs> yes, thank you, Terry, for the opportunity. And again, was an honor and see you next week yes yes i hope to see you next week have a great weekend thank you bye bye bye